Theological education should be accessible. In the past, men have had to leave their local churches to train for the ministry. At Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary, you can now complete a seminary education while staying in your own church and being mentored by your own pastor. For more information on how you can receive informed scholarship with Pastoral Heart, check out our website, cbtseminary.org. Covenant Podcast exists to equip listeners with theological content from a 1689 Baptist perspective. We pray you find this resource edifying, faithful to Scripture, and Christ-exalting. Now, let's get started. Welcome to the Covenant Podcast today. I'm very excited to be able to host Dr. Jared Bumpers. Dr. Bumpers, welcome to the podcast today. Thank you, Austin, man. Glad to be here. Dr. Bumpers, can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself before we get into this topic that we're going to be addressing today. Yeah, absolutely. So I am the Director of Student Life and Events at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. I'm also Assistant Professor of Preaching and Christian Ministry. So I teach uh, preaching classes, hermeneutics classes, and then uh, serve the the campus community here through uh, conferences, uh, student discipleship, student development, uh, things like that. Uh, Some of those classes, and we're going to be talking about Keech's hermeneutic methodology today. Can you tell our listeners what is hermeneutics before we get into this topic? Yeah, that's a great question. So hermeneutics uh, is the, the, basically the study of biblical interpretation. Um, it's the principles that govern our interpretation. And so um, typically we, we draw a distinction between hermeneutics, the principles that govern how to understand a biblical text, and then exegesis, which would be the application of those principles. Awesome. A few months ago, Dr. Bumpers and I were at a wedding, and he told me that Benjamin Keach is a theologian that Christians need to know more about. Uh, Before we get into his preaching types and metaphors, Dr. Bumpers, what are some things that you want us to know about Benjamin Keach? Another good question. So so Keach was a a Baptist preacher, late late 17th, uh, early 18th century. Um, he's known through his writings primarily. I think probably his two most most famous writings are his preaching from the types of metaphors, um, and then his exposition of the parables. And, and Keach w- was a preacher, man. He was he was a churchman. We talk about um, his, we're going to talk about his his hermeneutic. We'll, we'll talk some about his his theology, uh, particularly his views of of baptism and uh, believers' baptism in particular, and, and an anti pedo Baptist. But I think first and foremost, Keach was a pastor and a preacher. He was passionate about scripture, passionate about preaching, passionate about exposition, that even his exposition of the parables comes out of his preaching ministry and his types of metaphors uh, of scripture is shaped by his preaching ministry. And so I think first and foremost, uh, Keach was a pastor, he was a preacher. And so in appreciating him and what he, what he contributes to, to hermeneutics, what he contributes to, to preaching, what he contributes to theology has to be viewed within his pastoral context that, that he was a pastor. Um, first, he, he was a general Baptist pastor. And then later he, he becomes a particular Baptist and pastors uh, in London, a famous church that is eventually pastored by uh, Charles Spurgeon. And so I think the big thing to say is, is important for us to note Keach's pastoral heart and and uh, placing his, his contributions within that context. Well, let's get into Keech's hermeneutic, the main topic in, uh, that we're going to be discussing today. How does Keech's hermeneutic compare and contrast with the modern grammatical historical approach? 
this question is, is huge right now. There, there has been a, a bit of a resurgence in appreciation for pre-modern exegesis. Several books have been written recently about medieval exegesis, um, the exegesis of the, the early church fathers. Uh, there's a book called, um, it's called Interpreting Scripture Within the Great Tradition. And uh, it's written by, by a professor named Craig Carter. And one of the things that he does is he argues that modern interpreters, that, that here we are in the 21st century, interpreting scripture in a way that has been radically shaped by, by the Enlightenment. And I think there's a lot of truth to that. The historical, radical, or the, the historical grammatical interpretive approach has certainly been influenced by uh, the Enlightenment era, modernism. And so much of what we do is grounded in looking at the history surrounding the historical context surrounding a passage. So who, who was the author who wrote this book? Who was the audience who, who received it? What's the cultural context? What's happening in that culture? What's even happening in that region? What prompted the writing? And so definitely placing scripture within a historical framework and at the same time giving attention to, to the grammar of the text. So, uh, looking at uh, the, the syntax, the structure, um, doing verbal analysis, all, all of those things that, that I think are, are right, that we should do. Uh, but a lot of those things are, are, he are, are heavily, have been heavily influenced by the Enlightenment. Whereas prior to the Enlightenment, there was a, an appreciation for spiritual, typological, allegorical interpretation of the text. I would say that prior to the Enlightenment, interpreters still recognize the importance of grammar and and looking at the verbs and um, looking at the structure, the flow of the argument, looking at the narrative breaks. So there was still an appreciation for grammar and for history, the historical context, the author, but there was also an appreciation for the the divine nature of Scripture. And so um, as Christians, we believe in in the inspiration of Scripture, uh, what we would call the dual authorship of Scripture, that, that human, human authors pin the words that are on the piece of paper, but they did so under the guidance and influence and inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And so earlier interpreters were, were very free and, and, and um, willing to look for a, a, a divine meaning in the text to assign spiritual significance to things. And I think that's missing in a lot of, in a lot of modern in, interpretation. And one of the things I think is interesting is if you, if you take a strictly grammatical historical approach you struggle to interpret certain passages in a Christian way. And what I mean, what I mean by that is, is, is that there are certain passages that unless we look at them through the lens of uh, typology or, or, or allegory or spiritualization, there, there doesn't seem to be a clear connection to Christ. Carter actually opens his book with an example from Isaiah 53, where, where he says that he was, and he was a pastor, he was preaching, he said he got re ready to preach, and he knew the text was about Jesus. He knew that Jesus was a suffering servant, and yet seminary and the grammatical historical approach had not prepared him to preach Christ from that text. And I think it Obviously, as a, as a professor of seminary, that's a problem if, if you can look at Isaiah 53 and not preach Jesus from it. We know that Philip in Acts does that. And, you know, he, he, he comes across the Ethiopian eunuch who's reading. He's reading in uh, Isaiah 53 and says, I don't know who this is about. You know, how can, you know, he's talking about himself or somebody else. Philip asks him, do you understand what you're reading? How can I unless someone else shows me? And the Bible says that, that Philip starts there. 
and preaches Christ to him. And so Isaiah 53 is clearly about Jesus. The question is, how do we how do we help people see that? And I think that in, in spite of all of the benefits of a grammatical historical approach, if we're so rigid in that approach that we can't see Jesus in text that the New Testament sees him in, we've got a problem. So for all of its benefits, we're missing something that I think Keach saw very clearly and that that is that is the spiritual, typological, metaphorical sense of Scripture and the divine truth that it contains. Would this be called the redemptive historical approach to interpretation? Yeah, I think I think Keish definitely is a, and probably probably it may be anachronistic to 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 say that he was a redemptive historical interpreter, but I definitely think it fits with his his interpretations are redemptive historical. Let me let me put it that way. I'd be hesitant to say he's a redemptive historical interpreter, and yet at the same time, I would say he's a Christian interpreter, and he interprets the text in a way that thoroughly exalts Christ. And one of the one of the things uh, I've written on this recently, but one of the things that's interesting is in his exposition of the parables. He talks about the parables containing the mysteries of the gospel, and he, and, he, and he says that in order to properly understand the parables, we have to understand the gospels, and we can't understand the parables apart from the gospel. The parables contain the—I love the way he phrases it—the mysteries of the gospel, and so he is definitely a—, a um, a Christian interpreter who interprets the text in a way that elevates Christ. Who were some people that influenced Benjamin Keach in respect to his hermeneutic? Well, obviously he wasn't influenced by uh, enlightenment writers. So most of his influence <laughs> had come prior, prior to the enlightenment. So you see him quoting people like Augustine and uh, Justin Martyr, Irenaeus. So He's influenced by many of the leaders in the early church, uh, the patristics uh, in particular, and they so they shape his understanding of of the biblical text. And so he, he's he's very free, feels very free to interpret uh, passages um, in, in a spiritual or allegorical way. Um, you, you see him recognizing uh, types and metaphors again in his uh, in his work on the types and metaphors and preaching from the types and metaphors of the Bible. He, he's he's very quick to see Jesus in these in these images um, in, in the exposition of the parables. He's quick to see Jesus in the gospel and the images. One of my favorite uh, one of my favorite passages from the exposition of the parables. He's dealing with the, the prodigal son, and when the prodigal son returns. The father kills the fatted calf, so there's a sacrifice. He puts the robe on him. Um, he gives him his ring, his sandals. And most interpreters are hesitant to find any type of spiritual significance to these things. Um, I wrote my dissertation on John Broadus, who was a, a Reformed Baptist preacher in the mid-19th century, uh, mid, mid to late 19th century, died in 1895. Um, but taught preaching, I taught New Testament interpretation at Southern Seminary, and he was, he's very hesitant to assign spiritual significance to individual elements of the parables. He talks about the, the parable of the Ten Verges and says that if you ascribe spiritual significance to individual components of the parable, he says that's, that speculation, the phrase that he, he uses is worse than idle. It's worse than idle to ascribe spiritual significance to individual components of the parable. And, and Keach is on the exact opposite end of the spectrum where he says these parables contain the mysteries of the gospel. That, that, that 
calf that was sacrificed represents the blood of Jesus Christ, which has been shed. The, the, the robe, which comes after the sacrifice, signifies royalty. The, the ring um, signifies authority. The, the, the sandals are the, the shoes of the gospel of peace. And so he, he, he feels very free to see the spiritual significance of individual passages. And I think that comes from his reading of, of the early church fathers. I think he's been shaped and influenced by them. Now, it's important to note here that he, he, doesn't, he doesn't allow his imagination to run wild. He realizes that the accusation, and even in his preface to preaching from the types of metaphors of the Bible, in his preface, he says that, that one of the objections to his method is that he's going beyond what the text says. And, and he says... Um, I met with the objection against my method that no parallels are to be drawn beyond the scope of the text. He, his response, he says, to which I answer that I have endeavored with all diligence to conform all of my parallels to plain scripture and the analogy of the orthodox faith. If I go, if I go beyond what the scope of a particular text is, yet I agree with the general tenor of God's word. And so he makes sure that, that anything that, that he states, any argument that he makes, any truth that he communicates is contained within scripture. And so if you say, well, this is not necessarily justified by that individual passage. He would say, even if it's not, it's contained in Scripture, and I'm being faithful to the Word of God as a whole. And so he allowed the analogy of faith to, to serve as a guardrail for his interpretation of individual text, even when uh, he went beyond a plain reading to a more spiritual um, or allegorical type of, of interpretation. Uh, very, very helpful for us. I'll be chewing on that for a while personally. Uh, before the podcast, we mentioned some of the people in his era. Uh, you mentioned Richard Baxter. How does uh, Keech's approach compare to the Reformed Pado Baptist of this period? Yeah, that's, that's another, I think, important question to ask is what is Keech doing this distinct or different? And, and when, you look at, when you look at Baptist life, I think Keech is uh, a, a vocal proponent. He's a prolific author. And so he's making the case for believers' baptism as well as it can be made. And, and so he, he's in line with Baptist views of his time. But, but outside of that, I mean, he, he's a bit of a polemicist. He, he, he ta he's not afraid to tackle people, to tackle controversies. Uh, he deals with, with multiple controversies as a pastor. And one of the things that he tackles you know, quite often is, you know, I think he wrote four tracks against uh, pedo-baptism. And so he's, he's not afraid to attack pedo-baptist. And so what he, what, what Keish does, he accuses pedo-baptist of, of twisting scripture. He says, he says that, that scripture plainly teaches believers baptism. Examples we have in the New Testament are of believers who are baptized. And so he says, scripture teaches plainly, not obscurely. And so if infant baptism were the will of God, then it would clearly be taught in Scripture. It would be explicit, not implicit, implied, and, and connected. And so uh, he, he definitely argues against Plato baptism. And part of that is, is, is hermeneutical, his understanding of individual text. Um, you go to the household passages and acts that he's not persuaded by, says those are implicit, not explicit. And then part of it is, is theological, where he's addressing Baxterianism, which views the Abrahamic covenant as conditional, as baptism replacing circumcision. And Keach obviously disagrees with this. He, he, he critiques it. And uh, so 
he's he's not he he will have none of an infant baptismal covenant basically that's what he calls the baxterian era it's an infant's baptismal covenant and views it as a conditional covenant he says that pedo baptists have viewed this as a conditional covenant and there's there's not an exact equivalent here how was uh keech's work received in the broader reform movement so, so Keech was, was very well received in the, in the broader reform movement among Baptists. If we're, if we're getting outside of particular Baptists, obviously he engages in, in controversy. And honestly, I, I, I probably should be a little bit more careful because depending on which particular Baptist you talk about, um, there are some who, who didn't care for him. Uh, I probably should have been a little more careful stating that because uh, particular Baptists split over congregational uh, singing which Keach advocated for a congregational singing of hymns in, in worship. It's one of his major contributions. So outside of preaching, I would say he's most known for his contribution to, to singing in corporate worship in Baptist life. And yet even that wasn't well received by all particular Baptists. But for the most part, his, his preaching, his theology um, was in line with particular Baptists. He was one of the, one of those, uh, he was one of those who signed the 1689 uh, Second London Confession. And so uh, theologically, he's in line, he's well-received, he's well-respected. Uh, what's interesting is even, even General Baptist, I believe his funeral, um, I would have to go back and look at this, but I believe his funeral was done by a General Baptist. I don't think a particular Baptist did his his funeral. I'd have to go back and and research that. Uh, you may want to to follow up on that, uh, but but even that demonstrates the respect that he possessed. That those outside of his of his camp would would participate in his in his funeral. And so, among Baptists, particular Baptists, especially generally well respected. Even among general Baptists, well respected. Um, in spite of his his polemic against. Uh, Anglicans or Presbyterians, he was still respected for his his resoluteness, his his, un, his courage, his unwillingness to back down. And so, from a historical standpoint, I think I think Keach was well respected uh, for the most part during his time. But as time has gone by, he's become even more appreciated for uh, for for the the stances that he took and his willingness to engage in views uh, that he did not hold. Well, Dr. Bumpers, that is all of the questions I have about Keech's hermeneutic methodology, but I do want to ask you about uh, what you've been working on in, uh, concern, concerning these topics. You've been writing and uh, researching about Keech. Can you tell us a little bit about what you've been working on? Yeah, I'd love to. So uh, I wrote uh, an article um, this due out later this year. It's called Worse Than Idol or Mysteries of the Gospel. John Albert brought us in Benjamin Keach on interpreting and preaching the parables of Jesus. And so basically what I've been doing is working through an exposition of the parables uh, by Keach and then working through uh, John Broaddus's uh, interpretation and preaching of the parables and comparing and contrasting their approaches. And so they take two, two very different approaches. Broaddus says that each parable has one main point that the details uh, of the parable are, uh, are, are generally not representative of some deeper spiritual truth. They're, 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 they're garnish, you know, garnishes on the plate, but they, they help fill in the, the, the space in the story, but they're not necessarily spiritually significant. Keach, on the other hand, says, um, and I mentioned 
Broad is saying the speculate about these details is worse than idle. Keat says, no, the details contain the mysteries of the gospel. And there's a one, he basically says there's a one-to-one correspondence between the individual elements of the parables um, and the truth that, that Jesus intends to communicate. And so I work through both of their approaches to, to the parables. And, and at the end, I basically circle around and argue that we can learn a lot from Keach. What's interesting, and I'll slide this in here, uh, what's interesting is that I think Keach is more consistent with Jesus's interpretation of the parables than Broadus is. That's important to note because in Matthew 13, the, the chapter of the parables, Jesus starts with uh, the, the parable of the sower. So the sower goes out, he sows the seed, it falls on four different types of soil. What's that parable about? We don't have to, we don't have to wonder because Jesus tells us, you know, um, the parable is about hearts. There are, you know, the, the seed is the word of God. It falls on different types of hearts. You know, some hearts are, are uh, hard and the birds come and take it away. Uh, other hearts are, uh, you know, cluttered, distracted. They're distracted with the cares of this world. Um, and so he walks through, you know, there's a, there's a good soil that receives the word. He walks through the different types of soils. What Jesus does, is he gives a one-to-one correspondence. The very next parable, uh, he talks about, about the wheat and the tares. So he tells a parable, this man owns a, you know, he, he owns a field, goes out and plants. Well, the enemy comes in at night. What does that parable mean? When Jesus gives his explanation, he says, the one who sows is a son of man. The seed is the word of God. The enemy is the evil one, the devil. The, the, the harvest is the end of the age. The harvesters are the angels. Jesus goes point by point and assigns spiritual significance to each individual element in the parables. And so anybody who says parables can't be interpreted allegorically, there is no spiritual sense in these parables, is basically saying that Jesus' approach to interpreting the parables is wrong, hmm. which is in itself wrong. We've got a problem if our approach to interpreting the parables says that Jesus' approach is wrong. That's a major problem. And so Keech is much more in line with, with Jesus' own interpretive methods where he moves point by point and says this is meant to, meant to communicate deeper truth. And so my, my first takeaway in my article is don't reject allegorical interpretation. In order to do that, you have to reject Jesus' interpretation, right? And it's interesting, you know, I have some quotes here, you know, homiliticians warn against allegorical interpretation. Uh, one famous uh, He's a well-known, I won't say his name, preaching professor, says that uh, interpreting the parables allegorically um, is to do that, you're straining your hermeneutic. He calls it a strained hermeneutic. And yet the two inspired illustrations that Jesus gives are allegorical. And so what I'm driving at is, is this, to reject allegorical interpretation altogether is to reject the interpretive method of Jesus. Which I, which, I, which I strongly disagree with. And so um, I, I think we can learn a lot from Keech, particularly as it relates to, to spiritual interpretation, interpreting types and metaphors, interpreting the parables allegorically, seeing the spiritual sense in Scripture, because it's not simply a human book. If, if the Bible is just a human book, then, then we can use enlightenment and higher critical tools to engage it. But if it's a, a divine book inspired by God, then then that changes the playing field altogether. So we need to recognize the divine authorship of scripture, the progressive nature of revelation, the unity of scripture, and, and, and lean into interpretive approaches that recognize scripture for the divine word of God that it is. For additional content, check out our blog ministry at covenantconfessions.com. Also, keep up with our social media accounts on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Next, 
head on over to iTunes and leave us a review. Lastly, thank you for listening to the Covenant Podcast. Grace and peace to you.